and welcome to The Global Insight. I'm Claudine Fry. I'm a partner at Control Risks based in London, and I'm joined on the podcast for this edition by Jonathan Wood, who's our principal analyst based in Washington, D.C. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Claudine. Jonathan, you've been tracking some of the issues raised by emerging technologies and geopolitics for many years, haven't you? And today on the podcast, since then, of discussing AI. AI isn't new, and indeed, it's been an issue on government minds for many years by now, but they suddenly look to be on the back foot. What's changed? What's changed is the ability of the general public to access these extraordinary technologies for free uh, and around the world. And as a result, governments that thought that they had time to craft a you know, careful, deliberate regulatory agenda for AI suddenly believe they have no time. And the you know, EU's process, for example, had to be revised at the last minute to incorporate these generative AI technologies into a policy debate that had been underway for some years. So it just goes to show the ways in which, as usual, technological developments are outpacing the ability of governments and regulators to respond. Layer on top, a geopolitical environment which is becoming increasingly fraught. Well, exactly right. And governments have for years, the US, China, the EU, other countries as well, seen AI as something that would be essential to geopolitical influence, economic power, military power over the coming decades. But now these technologies are developing even faster than they anticipated in some ways. And, and so the kind of geopolitical realities are now, they are appearing a- as we speak. And it's for that reason that there is a huge amount of felt urgency at the very highest levels of geopolitics to get a grip on AI, put in place some interim constraints or restrictions and ultimately establish a you know underlying legal and regulatory framework for the development and use of these technologies. The stakes couldn't be higher. I think that's exactly right. Obviously, some of the major proponents of artificial intelligence are military, national security, defense organs at the national level. They see AI very much as essential to future force projection, future conflicts, and they want to ensure that they are well-equipped If you think of air superiority as the sine qua non of late 20th century conflict, many defense ministries believe that artificial intelligence will be the essential capability in the 21st century. Equally, governments are eager to reap the perceived economic benefits of AI from increasing productivity to perhaps new industries or services that they can offer. Many are also very concerned about the impacts on labor markets. And one of the major objectives or goals of AI regulation will be to soften those impacts on their domestic economy and not introduce too much instability, either political or social instability, as a consequence of that. And speaking of political instability, there are significant concerns uh, at the national and international level about the ability of artificial intelligence to supercharge or turbocharge political and geopolitical misinformation and disinformation to create convincing uh, forgeries that might be precisely timed to impact an election process or to cause some kind of geopolitical incident. So these are really some of the main issues that have entered the scene with the emergence of generative AI. And they are some of the reasons why governments are so keen to make progress as quickly as possible on both the regulatory 
and innovation fronts. Jonathan, I think there's been an awareness for some time now about the role that AI will play in determining the superiority of particular states around the world. I think it was in 2017 that China made clear its intention to become a leader in AI by 2030, for example. And we've seen AI, haven't we, emerging as one of the sort of battleground areas in the way that the geopolitical environment is fracturing. Um, talk us through the role that AI is playing in, in, in the way that geopolitics is evolving. AI is one of those, what we call here in Washington, advanced or emerging technologies that the US, China, the European Union, India, other countries around the world believe will be essential to global power, influence, and performance over the coming decades. And as a result, there is a great desire to obtain first mover advantages and to restrict geopolitical competitors and adversaries from being able to develop these technologies and exploit them uh, as well. And this is where we've seen some of the most, if you like, acute or significant actions that the US and allied countries have taken to really restrict, for example, China's access to the AI supply chain. That's the hardware that runs the AI tools that design that hardware. And that is, of course, the software that runs on top of that hardware as well. In each of those areas, the US has moved quite aggressively in recent months to limit exports of technology, exports of devices to China and other countries, partly to crimp their ability to develop those AI capabilities domestically and maintain what the US sees as its technology edge. This is broadly defined in national security terms, but it goes without saying that there is also a hope that this will have economic benefits as well for those countries that are able to dominate these emerging AI technologies. We're recording this podcast on the day that in Brussels, EU legislators have approved an EU AI Act, which is a landmark piece of legislation which will introduce stringent controls over the use of AI and will put the EU on a collision course with many of the technology giants that are leading the way on emerging on emerging technologies, including AI, which are, of course, American. So that tells us <laughs> the latest indication that AI issues will be a source of tension between allies, right? Between, between the likes of Washington and Brussels, as well as being a defining feature of the way that rivalries between adversary states will, will, will play out. What we are seeing with that EU legislation and with other regulatory initiatives around the world are efforts to set the terms and set the standards at the global level for how the development of AI will proceed and how the regulation of AI, what, what the regulation of AI will look like. The EU lacks the big global technology firms that the US has, and it has historically lacked the type of investment that China has put into its own AI innovation. What it has, and the AI Act is part of it, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation is part of it, the Digital Markets Act, the Digital Services Act, what it has is the ability to set global standards on the strength of its enormous global market and to apply these across a number of very critical global economies in Europe. Uh, and so essentially, the EU is taking this move early on to set the terms for what future regulation of AI might look like. Now, that said, the AI Act is perhaps still 
you know, some months or years away from implementation. But in defining, as it does, a risk-based approach to the regulation of AI, the EU is saying, you know, there are some applications that we view as unacceptable and that we would very much like our partners, including the US, to align with us on that. Now, the U.S. has taken a rather more hands-off approach to the regulation of AI, but even here, the Biden administration has released a set of, if you like, guiding principles for how it believes AI should be regulated and how this might interface with some of these other initiatives that it is taking on the global stage. One place where the EU, the U.S., the U.K., Japan, and other major economies are coordinating is the group of seven or the G7. And in this year's summit, they established this Hiroshima AI process to develop some kind of coordinated or coherent standards, at least within those major advanced economies. Now, this will stand in perhaps stark opposition to what other countries, notably China, but also India, Brazil, you know, Turkey, other major global economies are doing with respect to AI regulation where they are taking approaches that perhaps are more orientated towards preserving domestic political stability or securing some of the economic and security benefits of AI, but will not necessarily be as joined up with these kind of global or multilateral standards. That said, one area where we do see those standards being pushed out globally is through the export of sophisticated AI tools and technologies especially from China to other emerging and developing uh, countries. And this is one, one area where even below this level of sort of geopolitical and multilateral alignment, we nonetheless have a de facto or facts on the ground type of alignment around certain uses and certain standards for AI. Awareness of political, country, and economic risks underpin your organization's ability to protect value and mitigate shocks. Whether you need consulting on a particular project or longer-term strategic, analytical, and forecasting resources, we can respond to your requirements face-to-face -face or through our online platform-based solutions. For more information, follow the link in the podcast notes. So the Oxford University Internet Institute has pointed out in, in some of the research that I was doing ahead of this podcast record, that a lot of the regulatory measures that are relevant to AI are actually already in place. You know, thinking about rules that prevent stealing IP or banning discrimination, banning activities which explicitly and directly cause harm to others. And indeed, a lot of the bodies that should be involved in the drawing up and the enforcement of these regulations already exist. So it sounds like the areas where there is the need for most clarity and for progress on regulation are data privacy issues and some of the ironing out and sort of articulating ethics, what a society is going to consider ethically acceptable with respect to the use of AI. I mean, that's exactly right. And the, if you like, the ethics of AI are not just something that governments are concerned with. They are also very much something that uh, the private sector, the companies that are involved in developing these tools and the hardware underpinning these tools are also very concerned about. And this really comes to the fore in something that the EU and the US have discussed through uh, the so-called Trade and Technology Council, a, a set of bilateral meetings on aligning technology standards and regulations, where they have sought to firmly put AI into the context of uh, what they see as a kind of big geopolitical struggle between democratic 
and authoritarian systems. And in particular, their concerns about the ability of AI to augment and perhaps stabilize and entrench authoritarian systems, including, for example, through the widespread use of surveillance technologies that leverage AI for things like facial recognition. This is one of those applications that in the EU AI Act, they have deemed to be you know, unacceptable or, or at the very least high risk. This is one of those applications that here in the US as well, there is a lot of reticence, even though US security police and other agencies are among the biggest consumers of some of those surveillance technologies and certainly hoovering up data from a wide variety of sources in the name of you know national security. So there is absolutely a tension there, even within ostensible partners over how to delineate those ethical constraints on the use and on the applications of AI. One thing that is very clear from a purely geopolitical standpoint is that the, you know, the US and perhaps some other countries do not want to sacrifice some of the potential advantages of AI for national security or for economic performance, perhaps in the name of restrictive safeguards. And I think we're going to continue to see that tension play out in the regulatory and political debates over the coming months and years, you know, really trying to define exactly what types of capabilities are acceptable, which types of capabilities are high risk. And one of the major challenges that just goes with the terrain of artificial intelligence is that many of these capabilities, as we've seen in recent months with deployments of generative AI, they are emergent, they're unpredictable. Governments, companies, they don't know exactly what capabilities will emerge out of these technologies that may or may not create new risks or, or increase existing risks. And so any regulatory framework is going to need to be flexible enough to accommodate a technology that we are only in the very early stages of developing and beginning to understand. Jonathan, you mentioned there the shared interest of the private sector and governments in delineating the ethical angle to AI. Where else are the shared interests between the private sector and governments? Well, as I said, both the, the private sector and the public sector have an interest in ensuring that these technologies, just like any other dual-use item, is not being used or abused by bad actors in the international system. So that means you know, ensuring that AI capabilities aren't being diverted around export controls or sanctions, that they are not being used to commit human rights abuses or political repression. And some of these are compliance obligations for, for companies. Some of these are voluntary or ethical obligations that, that are very much in line with their sustainability or ESG, you know, commitments. That, that's sort of on the kind of constraint side. The other interest that is very much shared between government and the private sector is figuring out the best way to use AI as an opportunity to solve some really intractable global problems. Many of these are around things like climate change, for example, how to optimize, you know, the use of energy, electricity, water, and other resources in, in the ways that they have the least or minimal environmental impact. How can AI be used to extend services to underserved populations, low-income households, for example, when it comes to things like financial services or basic utilities? And I think both governments and private companies see a huge opportunity there, both a huge uh, sort of development opportunity, but also a commercial opportunity 
to establish a foothold there. And I think that that's one place where their interests very much align in figuring out the best uses of AI to solve some of those problems and create both social goods as well as commercial benefits. I think that's going to be a really interesting interplay to monitor over the coming years, that relationship between the private sector and governments, and particularly, of course, the technology sector, upon which many governments are dependent for the storage of data and, and indeed to be resourcing and funding the development of emerging technologies. I mean, and that is one area of policy that's been very interesting in the last few years has been if you like, much more government involvement in financing the research and development of AI. We have here in the US something called the CHIPS Act, which you know essentially will plow tens of billions of dollars over the coming years into basic R&D for AI. And that will be channeled through the private sector, through research institutes, through government labs, but all with a view towards kind of developing and expanding the capabilities of these technologies. Other countries very much doing the same thing. In China, for example, which I might add has some of the leading AI, private AI companies in the world, these have become national champions. They've become central to China's ambitions economically and strategically over the coming years. And so there too, even though it's a very different economic and political system, we see this alliance between government and business specifically around developing and exploiting AI technologies. So we should see that as evidence of, of, of government intent to be able to exert more control and direction over how technology is being developed and who by. It's, it's a spectrum between exerting control over the companies that are developing this technology and enabling them or increasing their capability to do so. You know, here, as I say, in the US, there's a bit of a more laissez-faire attitude where private companies are really taking the lead with a significant amount of public support in the development of the technology. That has been the case in China to date, but now the government is taking a more significant interest in that development and ensuring that it is you know, compatible with long-term national policy objectives. So you know, I think we will see both types of approaches. And, and you know, in the EU, very much the same thing, very much a case of the government policy level trying to set the terms for companies on how they can use and deploy and develop these technologies. I imagine that one other area of shared interest in the private sector and, 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 and across governments as well is in how to capture and develop the appropriate level of skills and expertise um, you know, within decision makers who are going to be responsible for regulating and development and, and and working out the ethics and uses of of AI, that that I assume must be one of the significant challenges facing policymakers and and as and, and indeed as we know it is in the corporate world to move fast enough and to be both efficient and effective in terms of how how they respond to AI. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the AI focused talent is at the moment relatively scarce. This was until very recently, until some of these tools rolled out to the public domain, a fairly obscure, highly technical area of computer and data science. Uh, and as a result, there is a premium on obtaining access to those capabilities. One of the consequences of geopolitical competition has actually been a more significant challenge, maybe even a significant decrease in the amount of international cooperation and collaboration at the academic level in AI research. It, it is probably now much more difficult for 
U.S. and Chinese researchers who, who have been responsible for some of the breakthroughs, technological breakthroughs in AI in recent years, it will be much more difficult for them to do work going forward. And so I think just as we talk about geopolitical fragmentation, we are seeing fragmentation of kind of skills and talent and access to talent in a number of different domains. You know, there is a land grab at the moment. Companies who are developing their AI strategies, governments who are developing their AI strategies are all going after the same relatively small pool of researchers, technologists, you know, a- academics, and those with, with these capabilities. You know, speaking just for the US, there is very much a desire to avoid some of the technological illiteracy that characterized prior debates around social media. And actually, the challenges that emerge with regulating social media are informing how policymakers are viewing AI. They want to ensure that they are appropriately briefed, that they are going into these conversations and debates with the right level of knowledge, and that they are taking a more, if you like, deliberate and proactive stance towards regulation compared to the more reactive stance that they took towards social media regulation you know, 10 years ago. So um, there is the benefit of hindsight here, but that doesn't mean that we suddenly have a huge reservoir of talent on AI integration that all companies will have access to. It will be, just as we've seen in the years since the COVID pandemic, um, challenging for companies to recruit and retain this type of skilled expertise going forward. You know, another area where both the public and private sector have a shared interest is in crafting a stable, predictable regulatory regime for AI. The companies that are developing and deploying this technology, they want to know what the rules are and what the limits are. And they are actively engaging with government to try and define these. Likewise, government, you know, is sort of following the technology that is being produced and used by these companies. And it wants to figure out ways that strikes a balance between, you know, government equities and things like data privacy or equity and justice. And potential economic benefits of AI for the economy as well. And that's a potentially very productive conversation, but it's not one that's going to happen overnight. And it's certainly not one that's going to happen overnight with a technology that is developing extremely rapidly and where its capabilities, you know, even to those who are most closely involved with that technology remain, you know, somewhat mysterious and unknown. I think in the coming years, we will need a regulatory framework that is flexible enough to accommodate a potentially wide range of future technologies and applications uh, related to AI. And unfortunately, as with any discourse on a regulatory issue, this one is going to be subject to disruption as a consequence of elections, of which there are many coming up. And it'll be interesting to see what role AI plays in those elections, not least the US presidential election. Well, that's exactly right. You're looking at the next 18 months, you have US election, Mexico election, India election, elections in Russia, and other major economies besides. And I think there's a lot of interest and concern in how AI could impact both the domestic politics, but because we are talking about the kind of big movers and shakers of the geopolitical scene as well, any of those domestic political impacts could have geopolitical implications as well. And, you know, policymakers, companies, civil society, everyone is acutely focused on that question as we head into 2024. Jonathan, part of the story that we're telling are familiar. We have an area of of very quickly evolving technology. But if you look at who the key players are in the on the stage, we have the US, 
superpower, I think indisputably so on this issue still. We have the EU playing its role as a leader on, on the regulatory front. We have China rapidly also making extraordinary developments in, in emerging technologies and with bold ambitions to be leading leading the way on the, in this area. These are familiar roles for these geopolitical actors to be playing. How far off do you think we are from a point where AI reshapes the, the map and upends the actors on the stage and, and who is in the, who is in the, who's playing the leading parts, if ever? So it's interesting. I mean, AI is obviously a potentially disruptive technology. And I mean disruptive in its ability to both disrupt the economic landscape and also in its ability to disrupt the existing balance of global power. Just to take one example of that, what we are seeing in the conflict in Ukraine, for example, is the use of low-cost asymmetric technologies, things like armed drones, to target high-cost traditional technologies like tanks and other armored vehicle platforms. Uh, so AI could, could be something similar for many countries. It could be a leapfrog technology that allows them to get over some of the very high fixed costs of developing or deploying you know, legacy technologies and jump straight into a more productive economic future of some kind. And, and that could prove to be very disruptive. But at the same time, to your point, we are seeing the regulations, the technologies, the supply chains emerging in those countries that already have significant geopolitical or geoeconomic influence and power. And there are a couple of reasons for this, one of which is whilst you know some of the large language models or some of the other models that are used in AI has been open sourced and widely available and accessible, the hardware that those models need to run on is still very scarce and expensive. It's produced by just a handful of global companies, all of which you know, have some restrictions on where and to whom they can sell these products at the moment, most mostly driven by the US and its partners. And so it's not the easiest or the cheapest thing for a developing country to suddenly build a world-leading AI capability, at least not yet. It may get easier and cheaper in the future, Barriers to entry have fallen dramatically in just the last few years. That trend could continue. But for the moment, you know, AI is probably more likely to reinforce the existing distribution of global power than it is to dramatically disrupt it, precisely because those countries or blocks that already have leading positions in these areas are also the ones that are leading the AI arms race. I agree with you, Jonathan. I, I can't see AI upending the, the geopolitical status quo single-handedly. If anything, as you say, it seems to be reinforcing it for now. How are we advising companies to respond to this bewildering amount of change taking place before them from a geopolitical and an emerging technology perspective? Well, as you say, you know, AI and technology in general is just one of the domains that companies need to consider in the current geopolitical landscape. You know, many companies are now scrambling to figure out how to integrate or use AI to augment their operations. And like any other area of technology adoption, it's important to be intentional about that type of integration. What problems is AI designed to solve? What risks is it designed to mitigate? What new risks might it create for the business? Uh, there's been a lot of commentary and discussion recently, for example, about the leakage of some proprietary corporate information into these AI models, for example. And so companies do need to be deliberate about how they are doing this. 
in this current geopolitical environment, one thing that we are advising companies to do is to build and run scenarios for how these types of developments could impact their business. So in a more kind of conventional geopolitical sense, it might be, would a geopolitical shock uh, disrupt access to a key supplier? You know, and, and could that mean that your factories producing widgets somewhere else have to shut down for months because suddenly there's a shortage of just one component that you need? Well, think about AI in somewhat similar fashion. If there are some, you know, strict regulations on the types of data that you can, that, that AI models can use or some regulations on the ability to import or export AI technologies, you know, what does that do to a business strategy that might be relying on, uh, you know, procuring a AI as a service from someone in another, from a company in another, another region or another country? We are also, you know, advising companies to think about, you know, how could AI, like any other technology, disrupt the competitive landscape? What are peer and rival companies doing? What types of products or services are potentially exposed to these AI technologies? I mentioned that, you know, governments are very concerned about the ability of AI to perhaps disrupt a knowledge worker or white collar roles across the services industry. Well, companies should be very concerned about maybe some of their products and services being disrupted in similar fashion. What could AI do more cheaply and better than what your company is doing? That, that's what many companies are asking themselves right now. And then lastly, you know, I, I think we do need to take into consideration the geopolitical reality, which is that for in AI, as in other areas, for companies that are multinational operating in multiple regions, they are very likely going to be confronting a fragmenting regulatory environment, which means that they will face different compliance obligations or different regulatory requirements in the different places that they're doing business. And the watchword in recent years around things like supply chain has been, you know, sort of localized to survive. And I think we're going to see something similar in this digital technology domain as well. Many companies have a lot of experience gained significant cost over the last few years with you know, localizing data centers or ensuring that they can be compliant with multiple data privacy and protection regimes. And AI is going to be, to some degree, an extension of that. Companies that have gone through that experience will probably have a better experience of figuring out how to comply with multiple AI regulatory regimes. But those that haven't, you know, now's the time to start thinking about what an AI deployment would look like across a multilateral footprint. Totally agree, Jonathan. And I think on that last point, it's it's time to be rethinking your stakeholder map and having a sense of where existing and new rules are going to be enforced in a different way, in a new way, by who, and what your relationship is like with those stakeholders every every way you're operating. That's a great point because, you know, as a new technology, AI is going to create winners and losers. And there will be institutional winners and losers as well. The the Institutional winners might be those, you know, completely new regulatory agencies or those existing regulatory agencies that, that take AI into their purview. And those might well become the most important stakeholders for companies to be engaging with uh, going forward. There will also be roles within companies whose jobs it becomes to figure out how to integrate this, whether those might be technical people, they might be strategic people, they might be more commercial people inside businesses. And again, that, you know, we, we will see some reshuffling of, of, of exactly who's accountable for and responsible for these deployments, both in the public and private sectors. And I think, you know, for us in lots of different domains, we, we see the best response to this as being 
you know, taking a multidisciplinary approach across an organization to try and bring in the widest range of stakeholders that makes sense so that these decisions that, that impact the business or that impact the country aren't being made in a vacuum and they're not being made in a silo with just very specific needs or interests in mind. It's ensuring that that kind of Holistic risk management. Hey, that seems to be a buzz. Holistic. Yeah, absolutely. Buzzword at the moment. In a whole range of different channels, you can go. To me, it seems one that is currently underappreciated in conversation about geopolitical risk and how it's evolving. The the AI the AI angle. So, I'm really pleased to be shining a spotlight on it. All of those things that companies should be doing that Jonathan mentioned there, being intentional and deliberate in approaching how to manage AI, scenario forecasting, understanding the competitive landscape and regulatory risk management. They are all things that we can support you with. So please do get in touch if we can help you navigate this bewildering world any better. We are a control risk covering AI and its implications in a whole range of different channels. You can go to, for example, the cyber and digital hub on our website, controlrisks.com. Find out more. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the Global Insight. Thank you very much. My pleasure. If you liked what you heard on this episode of The Global Insight, make sure to subscribe. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts as well, like Decrypt, featuring our experts from across the world, making sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting business. As always, thanks for listening.